guys, and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you for joining your hosts, Tierra and Jack, what is now episode number 101. Now, before we get stuck into things, we just wanted to remind you guys that if you do enjoy this episode, please remember to repost it onto your social media. Also, if you are feeling generous, you can leave us a rating and a review on the iTunes podcast app. And if you are interested in our coaching services, you can head over to our website at www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com. You can also find the link in the show notes below and any of our social media bios. And as a heads up, we don't just coach comp prep competitors. We coach anyone with a health and fitness goal. Epic. All right. So Jack, episode 101, are we officially like in our second century now of podcast episodes? Yeah, we reached that a while ago because we've got that <laughs> other series too. I know, but like for the Q&As, right? It's pretty cool to have the big 101 up in the title, but let's get cracking. What's the first question? So this one says, would you advise a vegan to eat animal products like eggs if their cholesterol was super low? Interesting question, you know? So I think that we should say right off the bat that cholesterol is only derived from animal products, right? You cannot get cholesterol from plants. So if you are following a 100% vegan diet, then you're not going to be obtaining any dietary cholesterol. But that's perfectly fine because cholesterol is a non-essential nutrient. Our body, unless you are in a critical disease state, right? And there's an issue going on with your body actually synthesizing its own blood cholesterol, then your body is fully capable of actually synthesizing cholesterol. And Cholesterol is an integral part of cell membranes. It's required for hormone production. All right, cholesterol is important for bile synthesis. So cholesterol is essential for health, but because our body's fully capable of making it all by itself, right? It's synthesized in the liver. We don't actually need to obtain it from the diet. But if someone is an omnivore or they're heck. There are even some people out there that are carnivores, right? And they're only eating animal tissue or their diet does have animal tissue in it. So eating things like meat, eating things like poultry, seafood, right? If you're eating things like eggs or dairy, whatever it may be, you are going to get a bit of cholesterol from these foods. But the thing is, is that dietary cholesterol is actually very unlikely to actually influence your total blood cholesterol levels. Yeah, totally. Like, I think we all grew up being told that you shouldn't have too many eggs per day because it's high in cholesterol and it will increase your blood cholesterol levels. But that isn't true. And your body is good at regulating your your cholesterol levels. And one of the ways it does that is through the production of bile. So cholesterol is one of the components of bile. And bile is used to basically emulsify fat and other food components. So basically, if, you're, if your body needs to remove some cholesterol, then it secretes it through bile. So bile basically goes into the toilet and therefore it removes, lowers your cholesterol level. So that's one of the ways. Another other ways is your dietary fiber intake as well, which mm-hmm. is quite interesting. But leading on to hypocholesterolemia, which is low blood cholesterol levels, this is actually something that very, very, very few people have to worry about. And it's, uh, it's usually associated with other comorbidities. So if you do actually have low blood cholesterol, then it's something to talk to a, a doctor about 
if you if it actually has been shown through a blood test yeah absolutely you know and it's usually an indication that something even more serious is mm. usually going on right like usually you might have cancer hyperthyroidism right just in a major disease state and usually low blood cholesterol levels are secondary to that and bear in mind we're not talking about like low hdl or low ldl here mm -hmm. this is we're actually talking about blood cholesterol levels yeah like total cholesterol but yeah. again cholesterol it's absolutely essential for health we need it okay like cholesterol is an integral component of every single cell membrane because it actually provides structural integrity to a cell membrane if we didn't have cholesterol in a cell membrane it would be way too fluid it'd just be jiggling all over the place right cholesterol actually goes between that lipid bilayer and actually helps give it a little bit of structure and even things like vitamin D synthesis, right? Vitamin D is a cholesterol-derived hormone. And same with things like testosterone and estrogen and progesterone, right? All of these different hormones need cholesterol. So cholesterol is definitely essential for health. And I guess there is a bit of confusion when people just talk about cholesterol as a whole, right? But we can kind of break that down, down into things like HDL and LDL. So these are both derivatives of cholesterol but HDL stands for high density lipoprotein. LDL stands for low density lipoprotein. Both certainly have a role in the body, a very important role, but just like anything in the body, it needs to have a good balance. So both of these things, they do have a different role. So for example, HDL is actually responsible for bringing cholesterol from the bloodstream and from cells back to the liver. And LDL is responsible for taking cholesterol from the liver and then delivering it to other parts of the body. But the thing is, is that if these become out of whack, right? Like if you have low HDL cholesterol levels and you have high LDL cholesterol levels, then you're going to have a lot more cholesterol going into your cells and, you know, leading to things like arthrosclerosis in mm. your arteries. And if you have low HDL, you're not going to be able to pick up a lot of those cholesterol molecules and bring them back to the liver. So we need that balance there. Yeah, and that's why... HDL is often termed as good cholesterol, LDL as bad cholesterol. Mm -hmm. But again, it's not necessarily good and bad. I think that's important to tell people because mm. they're both good in their own way, right? Mm. But again, things just need to be in harmony. They need to be in that balance. And Well, yeah, it's interesting you say that because I, I was actually having a conversation with a doctor mm -hmm. at Christmas. A hepatologist, in fact, right? Yes. The doctor of the livers. <laughs> and he was saying that some research that not he's done in himself, but some things that he's read, some new journal articles have basically indicated that the lower the LDL is, the better it is mm -hmm. for you, which kind of contrasts a bit with that balance. And I mean, it does, it does sort of make sense because uh, cholesterol being distributed to other cells, that's part of how atherosclerosis develops, mm -hmm. which is like a blockage of the arteries basically. Yeah, think of plaque in your arteries. Mm. And, but at the same time, I, I'm sure we need a certain amount of that. Yeah, you probably need a little bit, right? Mm. Yeah, but interestingly enough, you know, like high levels of LDL cholesterol, it's actually not usually a result of taking in a lot of dietary cholesterol like people used to think. Like Jack said, people used to be scared of eating too many eggs because 
golly gosh, right? Their blood cholesterol levels are going to go through the roof. It's not actually dietary cholesterol, but it's actually more saturated fat intake. So if you are consuming a diet very high in saturated fat chronically, and the recommendations are to have less than 10% of your total energy intake per day coming from saturated fat. If you are consuming a lot of saturated fat, it actually interferes with certain receptors within your liver so that when cholesterol is trying to come back to the liver, for example, to you know produce some more bile, right? It actually can't reuptake that cholesterol. So it goes back into the bloodstream. Thus, over time, that's going to raise your blood cholesterol levels, namely from LDL cholesterol. And then that ratio of HDL to LDL, that's going to change. You're gonna have less HDL in comparison to LDL. And that's where you can run into some complications. Yeah, and I'm sure many of you are wondering, so how can we ensure that we have a good balance between HDL and LDL? Mm -hmm. And you guys might be amazed at the answer. <laughs> just by how <laughs> simplistic it is, right? Yeah, just it, it's a bit of a surprise, really. You mm -hmm. just need to have a, a healthy diet, exercise regularly. Wow, I can't <laughs> believe it, man. It's like that's the answer to everything or something, something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But basically have a, and this is something I look at in all my dietary recalls. So the, the variety of fatty acids that people consume. So basically where do you get your fat sources from? So it should mainly come from unsaturated fat sources. So polyunsaturated fatty acids, which is like omega-3 and, and monounsaturated fatty acids, which is nuts and olive oil, avocado, etc. Mm -hmm. And of course we can't forget just fruits, vegetables, whole grains and regular exercise. Like I will say that there is a, a fairly decent genetic component as well in terms of your um, HDL and LDL levels as mm -hmm. well. But yeah. that's more, can't really change your genetics, unfortunately, yet. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one of the easiest things is that like, you know, again, people are generally getting high amounts of saturated fat from their diet if they're consuming very large amounts of animal products. Mm. So think about like a steak, right? With like a really big rim mm. of fat on it, right? Or even if you're buying, like if you're buying meat from the store, I like you should always go for the low fat option. Mm. Like if you're buying like 20% fat beef mince and you're getting, if you're having, if you eat a decent amount of mince or if you eat mince every day, and you're getting like 20, 30 grams of fat from your beef mince, then you need to start going to the lower fat option. Yeah, exactly, right? Or hell, get amongst the kangaroo, right? Yeah. But also, that's not even necessarily to say that fat is bad. It's not bad in No, it's There's, not. It's not inherently... Fat itself isn't bad. It's more certain, like we know that trans fats aren't mm -hmm. great and saturated fats need to be in moderation. But other than that, you could get the rest of your energy or a very large proponent from fat and it wouldn't have any negative health consequences for, for most people. Yeah. So for example, what I used to do, you know, like let's say that I'm sitting down to dinner and I'm going to have a salad, I'm going to have a steak, right? And I'm going to have some potatoes or something like that, right? But let's say my piece of steak did have a big rim of fat on the side. I would just cut off that fat and I've weighed it before sometimes, you know, if you get a decent sized steak, you put that fat on the scale that can actually be like 20 or 30 grams. Like mm. it's, it's actually a lot of fat, but you just throw that thing away or, you know, if you've got a lucky dog at home, give it to your dog. Right. And then just replace that fat with something more unsaturated, like put some olive oil or some avocado or some pumpkin seeds on your salad. Right. So you still need fat in the meal, but just change the source. And over time that really can have an impact on mm. your health. So 
goes so far beyond just the macros, right? It's really about the micronutrition. Yeah, if you're at energy maintenance or in an energy deficit, it doesn't matter how much fat you're consuming. Mm -hmm. Like you'll still be the same body fat. You won't gain weight. So like often people confuse fat with saying, oh, I want to lose weight. Let's decrease fat, increase my carbs or Mm -hmm. whatever. But it doesn't work like that. Like fat is just an energy source. Yeah, absolutely. But that's not to say that like you still do need to pay attention to the sources of fat, even if you're in an energy deficit. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, guys, that's cholesterol for you. Right. And uh, let's move on to this next question, which I think is really interesting. It says, can you please give us some advice on how to budget for bodybuilding comps? Cool. So this is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. And I'll start off by saying that a lot of the prices are fixed, but there is still a lot you can do to to minimize costs. So like we know that the, the divisions themselves that you enter are fixed and like the registration for the comps those those and your coach like you definitely don't want to skimp out money wise for coach at the same time you don't want to pay a thousand bucks a week for someone who who just does your program or something (laughs) so you need to probably the coach is going to be one of your most expensive investments and your your probably most important investment overall Mm -hmm. so it's important to do your research on that absolutely and i think it's important to say from the get-go that like bodybuilding is an expensive sport I would no. argue that bodybuilding is probably one of the most, I don't know many other sports that are as expensive as bodybuilding, right? Mm. Like it's uh, very, it's, it's quite pricey, you know? Yeah. Well, I think for the level of dedication, it's, it's pretty on point. Like if you think about other elite sports, like I'm not saying everyone's an elite bodybuilder, but like <laughs> it, it, there's going to be travel involved. There's going to be equipment. You're going to have to pay for your coach all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You might not be able to work as much and therefore have financial struggles or that. Because when you think about elite athletes who go to the Olympics, not all of them are Usain Bolt who gets paid a million plus dollars to be sponsored by someone. Yeah. There are a lot of people who are really struggling, uh, well, not maybe not really, but struggling financially because they want to pursue something they really enjoy, mm-hmm. but they don't have time to be a lawyer on the side as well. Yeah. Um, so, which is, uh, I, I remember watching a few documentaries throughout uni on, on that sort of stuff, which I found interesting. But I guess even comparing to like a recreational sport, you know, like let's say that you played basketball competitively for a club on the weekends, right? Like you'd probably pay your registration fees. You'd probably pay to be a part of that team. You might pay for a uniform. You guys might practice, you know, two or three times a week and then you go to a game. But like bodybuilding, it's like a 365 day a year, many, many years and decades in a row commitment and sport, right? Like you've got to pay for obviously your gym membership, all of your food, of course, a good quality coach. You've got to pay for a posing coach. And then when it comes for time to show, right? Like you said, the registration fees, like the accommodation, the travel, the entry fees, and then this is where it gets big, especially between males and females. Like I know female competitors, you can spend a lot of money on things like heels and a suit, right? Your tan, your hair, your makeup, your nails, just like all of these little things. And it can really add up to be thousands and thousands of dollars, but there certainly are some sneaky ways that you can try to cut down those costs a little Mm. bit. So I, I guess I'll bump in quickly being a very, a lot of, pretty much every girl listening right now will probably roll their eyes when I say this, but 
When I see Tierra's fake nails versus someone else's, I can't tell the difference. Why, thank you. <laughs> because they're literally like seven bucks from the chemist. Yeah. Versus... <laughs> and I put them on like the morning of show. <laughs> mm. That's just me there. What about the jewelry though? I did get that from Kmart. Yeah, I can't tell any difference. Especially <laughs> when you're under those lights, like I'm sitting in the third or fourth row. Yeah, there's the judges can't tell either. As long as it shimmers, man, right? So yeah. like that's definitely the thing for girls. So I would certainly say you can save a hell of a lot of money on those little finer details. Like rather than going to get your nails done, like again, I'm all for it, right? Like if you wanna spend some money on this because it's very celebratory to mm. you, it's very special, right? Like Go it's for almost it, man. a tradition. It's, it's part of the process. It's your money, right? Like if you want to go get pampered and get like a pedicure or whatever it may be, or manicure, dude, I don't even know the difference between those <laughs> things. Is one for the toes and one for the nail, like the fingernails? I'm not the person to be asked. Oh, I'm not either. I buy my stuff from the chemist. But anyway, <laughs> seriously, you can save a lot of money by just buying fake nails from the chemist, right? Also, you don't have to buy your jewelry at like super expensive jewelry stores. Again, as long as it shimmers, you can probably buy something discounted. Like maybe you don't have to go to Kmart, but you could go to like a cheaper jewelry store, right? Bikinis, like again, if you wanna spend money and get like a handmade bikini perfect for you, by all means, but there are a lot of groups on Facebook, right? There's a lot of other competitors who sell things secondhand. And if someone's only worn a bikini once on stage, you get it secondhand and it's still really nice. Mm. It's basically still brand new, yeah. right? They're made to be worn more than once. Yeah. yeah. And they're good quality. It's not like a, a $5 swimsuit where it fades after the first wash or something. Exactly. So. I've bought all my bikinis secondhand and the girls who bought it before me they bought it brand new and it was anywhere between like 500 to 800 dollars a bikini mm. and i bought mine for around 150 dollars each yeah. right and they're nice and they last so i would definitely say buy things like bikinis secondhand and uh heels probably buy those brand new you know but you can always get secondhand heels too heels aren't too expensive i think it's like a hundred dollars for a pair of heels but again they last you forever. Like they last you a really, really long time. Mm. Um, but then the other things like hair, makeup, and tan, that's something that I'm willing to fork out money for because that is not in my expertise. Like I'm not going through a 25 week prep and, you know, training for two years straight to then get on show day. Right. And like do my own makeup and just look like, like absolutely flipped. Cause I, <laughs> My makeup routine is like putting cover up under my eyes and like some mascara on my eyelashes and in my eyebrows. And I'm like, yep, good to go. So I'm not showing up on stage looking like that. And sure especially since the, the people who do your makeup for stage and stuff there, they do it for the stage. Yeah. They're not some that you wouldn't go to your local makeup artist and say, yep, I'm entering a bodybuilding show. Let's do my makeup mm -hmm. because... Uh, again, I have no idea. I'm a guy, but I assume there's some differences in yeah. terms of how you, what hairstyle, what makeup you have. Yeah, absolutely. Because I remember like people, it's similar, uh, not quite the same as like stage makeup that like, you know, uh, theater actors have, mm. right? Because if you see a theater actor up close, their cheeks are like bright pink, right? They've got so much eyeliner on because like you've got to be able to see them from the 50th row back, right? You've got to be able to see their face popping. But yeah, definitely. It's certainly different to, you know, your night out on the town kind of makeup. 
Uh, but again, like if you have the skill set, like you're a really good makeup artist yourself, or one of your best friends is a really good makeup artist, or like you can do your hair really well, people can certainly save money by like if they know what to do, they can do mm. their own hair, right? The tan is something for girls. I would probably recommend getting a professional. Even guys. Yeah, unless well, you've well, you've got yeah, a good yeah, group of guys I, that help I meant with your the, tan. I meant like the base coat. Mm. Like the dream tan, you can yeah, you can get a friend to help you with that. Mm-hmm. But like at the end of the day, it comes back to you should be getting into this expecting it to be uh, a moderate price. Mm-hmm. And what I would do from the get go is kind of budget. So go through okay, how much is this, this, and this going to cost? Okay, I'm going to put aside this amount of money and expect it to cost this much. And the last thing I'll say personally is like, especially if you're doing multiple shows, you don't need a different outfit for each show. You mm. don't need different jewelry. You you might be able to get a package deal or so on and so forth. So like, it you might be able to save some money from that too. Yeah, that's a really really good point. And I guess just going back to the tan, like I would always recommend going with a professional spray tanner, right? Like don't just go down to your local beauty shop and just ask them to give you a regular spray tan, you know, so that you can save a few dollars because we see people do that every single season, right? And then they hop on stage and man, they just don't look anywhere near as good as someone who's had a few solid coats of tan plus dream tan, right? Even if, mm. even if you have the best physique on stage, like if you don't have a proper tan on, you cannot showcase it. You will be washed out under those lights, yeah. right? So you want to be dark. You want to be glistening. You don't want to be red though. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like make sure you're using a proper tan that works for you. Cause some people like we see them wear that red tan and like, especially the bodybuilders, you guys are up there, you're working damn hard, you're sweating, but then people start to sweat down their forehead, down their chest. It looks like someone's neck's been sliced, right? Like mm. it's not very nice. Yeah. You don't <laughs> want to stand out for the wrong reasons. No, absolutely not. But yeah, um, I know that you've got a good group of guys, you know, who come to support and really help you with your tan. You get like a few coats of tan, like in the days prior, and then you got a bunch of dudes patting you up backstage, you know, good luck spanking your butt with a bunch of dream tan. (laughs) It's all the rituals, isn't it? That's right. But yeah, definitely don't skimp out on the tan. And if uh, otherwise, if you're not going to get a professional tan, would recommend doing something like going with pro tan, right? And applying that yourself. But again, like make sure you practice. Like you don't want to be doing anything for the very first time on show day. Cause like, man, you've worked so hard for this, right? You've worked so gosh darn hard for this. And I guess that's another thing to just consider is that remember this is, it's a very expensive sport, right? So if you're going to fully commit to it, right? Like do it at a time where you know that you can be competitive, where you can truly be your best, right? Because you are putting a lot of into this mentally, emotionally, physically, but certainly financially too. Mm. Sometimes it's better just to go with the, if it costs 50 bucks more, sometimes it's better just to peace of mind, go with that option and have the best result rather than trying to save $50 and having to travel further, more stress, you don't know how it's going to turn out. So personally, that's what I would do. Obviously, people are in different boats, but I'd Mm. rather spend a bit more money for peace of mind, considering I've been dieting for 25 plus weeks. Yeah, I am the exact same, right? Mm. (laughs) Things that matter. Again, things like if I was, if I had to wear a ring on my finger, I would be going to (laughs) Kmart. Yeah, but you've got some groovy trunks coming this season, which should be good. 
Yeah. Yeah. Lucky guys, man. Like, you guys don't have to pay for, like, the hair, the makeup, the nails, the heels, the extravagant bikinis. You just throw on some flipping trunks and a tan, go up there, (laughs) like, tense your stuff, you know? Like, guys definitely do save a hell of a lot more money Mm. than girls. We do have to shave our full body, though, which takes a long time. But usually (laughs) girls have to be a part of that, too, because they've got to (laughs) help. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Oh, man, the things we do for our boyfriends. But I guess the last thing is too, just in terms of travel, right? Like, again, if you are fully committed to something like we are, like we're planning to go to ICN Nationals, if you plan ahead, right, you can book things in advance. So if you can book Airbnbs in advance, you can book flights in advance, things like that. that and book can... it with a group. It saves a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Like we've booked a Airbnb house with a, with a few others already. And yeah, it saves a lot of money as opposed to going to, to an apartment or a unit. Um, yeah, so that's our advice there too. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, hopefully that helps you budget a little bit, right? Those are just a few little sneaky things that we do. Mm, yeah, what's the next question? So this next one says, does a glass of water with cordial count towards your overall water intake? So the short answer is yes. Basically anything that contains fluid will contribute to your daily hydration even things like a diet soda, mm-hmm. believe even it or not. Even things like your bowls of oats with one liter of water in them. <laughs> yep. And that's often a great way of consuming enough water. And a lot of people think they may not be consuming, like they might only have two glasses of water a day, but then they'll have tea, coffee. They might have uh, a protein drink. They might have pre-workout and they might have some a tea in the evening, whatever it may be. They have some oats during the day, some fruit and vegetables, which have a high hydration capacity. And yeah, they'll be consuming enough water Mm -hmm. because like the biggest key of being dehydrated is when you use the bathroom, it's a bit easier for guys to tell this, but (laughs) you're basically your urine is yellowy slash orange. Why is it easier for dudes? Well, I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) Well, I I can tell you right now. I can see my own pee. (laughs) Great. (laughs) And it's got, it's got a smell, you know? Fair enough. (laughs) We both have urethras. <laughs> You're not superior than me in that department. But no, I think for every human being on this planet, right? Uh, unless the thing is, is that if it's right after a meal, no matter how much water you drink right after a meal, right? Like you're digesting that food, you're breaking down protein, breaking down nitrogen, a whole bunch of things. That stuff's going to come out in your pee too. So you can be hydrated as flips, but after you go pee the first or second time after a big meal, that's still going to be kind of yellow which is normal. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I haven't really encountered that before. Really? No. That's interesting. Maybe I'm dehydrated, bro. <laughs> Maybe. But anyway, like just go and go into Google Images, search up hydration chart or urine hydration chart and mm. you'll get a good infographic there um, rather than listening too much about us talking about it. But <laughs> yeah, basically any, anything that you consume throughout the day with fluid will contribute to your hydration. But um, I will always advocate for plain old water and fruits and vegetables and stuff that contain fluid Mm -hmm. rather than using like, sure, there's definitely a time and a place for things like sugar containing cordial, maybe even a soft drink or two, like, for example, intra-workout or as enjoyment, but you shouldn't be trying to get all your fluid through those things. Yeah, absolutely. You can't really go past good 
good quality H2O. And mm. Eric Trexler from the Stronger by Science podcast, they were talking about hydration quite a few weeks ago, but he just had this saying. He said, you know, pretty much wake up, get hydrated, and stay hydrated. <laughs> and I don't know why. That just stuck with me, and I love it, you know. But You know, that that's a perfect um, Instagram bio right there. <laughs> an Instagram bio. Maybe we should make that into an Instagram post. We'll yeah. have to tag him for some mm. credit, right? But wake up, get hydrated, stay hydrated. Because... Believe it or not, guys, that's why you actually weigh the absolute least first thing when you wake up in the morning. It's because you're dehydrated, right? You've gone pee for quite a few times, probably during the night, right? Probably haven't eaten for anywhere between like eight to 12 hours or something like that. You wake up, that's why you are the smallest human being in Mm. your body at that time because you're dehydrated but that's why first thing in the morning i always advocate for people like after you go pee after you brush your teeth you know drink some water like i know first thing in the morning i always get one liter of water in well actually one liter of water right so i drink 500 milliliters of just normal tap water and then 500 milliliters in my coffee and there's one liter for me Mm. And then your oats. And then my oats. I have, I go pee so many times during the day. It is ridiculous. It's not a competition. Yeah. No, but legit, there is this guy. All right. Well, not just a guy. He's the janitor at World's Gym Mount Gravatt, right? And like during a workout, like I'll go pee multiple times. I'll probably go pee between every single exercise. And that's just normal for me. One, I'm in comp prep, right? And we know when you're dieting, it's very common to go pee more often. But also I'm just very well hydrated and I just pee very often. This guy must think I have a UTI or something because like he's cleaning in there. I'm probably going in like five to ten times during our like three hours that we're there. Uh, But I'm just like, hey again, hey again. (laughs) You're not actually saying hey. I'm not saying hey. We both have our headphones on. But like I almost telepathically, I'm almost like this guy probably thinks I have a UTI. But really, I'm just like drinking hella water. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going through comp prep. He's probably very concerned for you. (laughs) I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but it's obviously way too awkward of a topic to bring up or for me to be like, by the way, like my bladder's fine. You know, I just, um, you know, I got, I got the fluids in me (laughs) and they need to get out of me. I wonder if anyone else is in that situation too, but I'm sure everyone in comp prep is. Yeah. Especially, um, towards the end. Yeah. You just got pee all the time. You You got to time your shopping trips when you're in comp prep. Or exams. Do you remember when we were dieting through certain exams, right? Mm. And like a two and a half hour exam boy by the end like you want to ask someone like hey what did you get for question 36 but all you can think about is god damn i gotta pee right bursting the more you think about it though the worse it gets but anyway we'll move on before we get um censored by well i guess just stay hydrated right like how much water should someone be drinking per day so it's usually i don't like just giving the typical two liters or whatever because Mm -hmm. for most people who listen to this it needs to be more so to give you a more objective recommendation, I prefer to just say the urine color mm-hmm. and, and base it off that. Or again, a, no, a more numbers-based answer would be you can, if you want to measure like how much fluid you lose during exercise, you can then multiply that by 1.5. And then that's actually the sports nutrition recommendation for staying hydrated. Mm-hmm. So like if you weigh yourself before and after the gym, basically to determine the amount of sweat you lose, um, it, it can work like that as well. But Again, I would just go until you're satiated thirst-wise and you're not, your urine color isn't, isn't yellow. Yeah. It's, it's um, clear. Yeah, that's what we learned in sports nutrition too. Pretty much like the best recommendation is to drink to thirst, mm. right? 
or if but if you aren't someone who naturally gets thirsty just have a routine within your day right so for example first thing when you wake up in the morning have a certain cup that you fill up and you drink 500 milliliters of water you know or you fill up a water bottle three times per day and you drink that or you always have a water bottle in your car in your gym bag or you know at certain times of the day you're always going to have a tea at this time or a coffee at that time whatever it may be just try to keep things consistent right mm. and you'd be amazed at how much better you feel staying hydrated and how many of you might be dehydrated and just used to it yeah and um like for now if i go half an hour without drinking water i'm i'm taking a trip to the kitchen to get some water because yeah. like uh, my body needs that. Yeah, exactly. And it can majorly impact your training performance. Even a mm. 2% loss in body weight from fluid can Im- negatively impact your training performance and your strength and your endurance. So it's very important. And the thing is, if you don't have enough fluid in you, you can start to feel tired. You can start to feel hungry. You can start to feel dizzy. You can start to get awful cramps if you're training, right? Like electrolytes can go out of balance. So yeah, man, like it's pretty easy just get into a solid routine of drinking some more fluid and stick with it. Awesome. Well, um, as per usual, we'll finish with something that we learned each this week. Mm -hmm. So I'll let you kick this off. Boy, well, I actually learned that... So on Instagram, you know, when you like someone sends you a message, right? And you can read their message, but then it gives you that option to then you swipe right. Do you swipe right or left? Uh, You swipe... Left. So the button's on the right, but you swipe to the left. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I've never done any swiping on on my phone before. You've what? You've never swiped right or left? No. Oh man, you all right? <laughs> never had to use that, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> thankfully for uni and meeting each other in biomechanics, no need for Tinder, right? But anyway, what I found out is that when you swipe and you click a message as unread so that it stays as a notification in your inbox, to the other person, it actually still says seen. So I didn't know that. I thought that if I read a message and then I went unread, it wouldn't tell the other person that I had read it. You know, mm. that's just the way that I interpret it. But it. I, yeah, I, I always knew that. I, I assumed that you knew it. How did you know that? It's just common. It's just common sense to me. Like I don't mean that in a bad way, but is it, it just a kind, makes sense. Like I guess, is it a kind thing to do for Instagram to let the other person know that the message has been seen? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I don't know, but that's not, I don't do that because I ignore people, but I genuinely do that because like. I don't feel the need to reply straight away, you know, because throughout the day, you know, you're getting Instagram messages all the time, right? And like, if you're in the middle of doing something, you get a notification, you want to look at it to see what it is. But like, if someone's asking a really complex question or something like that, like, I don't want to just give a half-ass answer. Like, I want to give a proper answer to something if someone's asking like, you know, hey, can you please refer me on to that episode on your podcast where you talked about this? And it actually turns out that my mom, she got her blood test results and she has high blood cholesterol levels. Would you be willing to give me any advice that I could tell my mom? Like, if I'm in the gym and I'm in the, like, you know, between sets of hip thrusts or something and I see a message like that, I'm like, whoa, I can't give a really detailed answer to this right now, but I'm going to click unread so that I still have the notification and I can come back later and give a really, you know, detailed and proper response. So yeah, it's kind of like emails, right? You know, when you get an email, you might read an email, but then you're like, 
whoa, that's a big email. I can't, I'm not in the position to reply right now. I'll come back to that. Yeah. And I think it's a good feature because like if you, if you don't unread it, then you'll miss it because it, then it will be read. So like at least when you unread it, it still pops up as you have an unread message. So you don't forget about it. Yeah, I totally agree. That's, I love those notifications, right? But gosh, I just didn't know that the person on the other end could see that I had seen it because I don't want to come across as rude. Like if someone sends me a big message, right? And then I see it, I don't want them to think that I'm ignoring them by any means, right? So anyway, that's what I learned and I'm sure I can just- Will you change your outlook on it now? Will you open them as you reply it? Not necessarily because again, it depends on what situation I'm in and it depends on the answer. Like I always respond to Instagram DMs and I always, you know, give really detailed responses and help people out and everything like that. But if I'm going to do that, I need to, it's, it is literally work. You know, we're online coaches. We're always on our phone. It is considered work. So I want to be in a position where I can actually sit down for five minutes and actually write a thorough response to actually help this person. Like, again, it's your quality of work and I do care about people, but I can't always respond in that instant. But I'm at peace with that. I don't expect other people to respond to me instantly, unless I'm actually speaking to their face. Like that would be pretty rude if you ask someone a question to their what face. What if it's like three <laughs> days later? Mm, I never would leave it three days later. It's usually only like a few hours. It's usually only like if I've got clients in the morning and I get a, a message that morning or something and I read it and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to come back to that after I'm done my work. Or if I'm in the middle of a session, right? And I'm like, okay, I'll respond to that when I get home. I can't do it right now. Mm. Yeah, I respect other people that do that. And I think that's totally understandable. As long as you're not ignoring them completely and just like opening messages and just being like, yeah, right. As if I'm going to respond to this person, right? Like mm. how dare they ask me a question? Like it's a I shame people think like that. Yeah. But at the same time, sometimes people actually do do that. Like I've definitely gotten messages from people who I've responded to, of course. And they're like, thank you so much for your response. It's like, do people not respond to you? Like, do people read your messages and ignore them? Like, man, that's mean. But, uh, very mean. It is mean. You can't ignore people. Literally, it is like someone asking you something to your face and then you just walking away, right? Like, that is, that's very rude. But, Jack, do you do the same? Like, if you get a big message, do you then go unread and then reply to it later? Do you feel the impulse, like, oh God, I gotta get back to this person right now? Yeah, I think we are quite different personality wise in that instance. Like if I read something, I'll always find the time and what I'm doing to, I just, I can do something and do something else really quickly. But even if you're in the gym, like, yeah, let's I'll say, still reply straight away. Man, how does that not take away your focus from lifting? Cause I, I don't know. I'm good at, I'm good at multitasking i guess gosh all right um, well that's impressive <laughs> something else that i do that you you haven't made the most of yet which i think it's only a matter of time before you do can you guess what i'm gonna say does it start with an r and end with an eels no oh it's um okay. voice recording <laughs> oh yeah yeah you're right i do text a lot i don't it's just again it's not a habit to mm. voice record but it's not because you're, you're self-conscious about recording your voice. Dude, I got a podcast. <laughs> I think we're far beyond that. <laughs> yeah. So like I, I, if someone asks me a detailed question, I'll give them a detailed answer. Mm -hmm. But as opposed to writing them a essay, I'll just voice record and it saves a lot of time. Gosh, that's really smart. Okay. I just need to build a habit of that. Mm. All right. 
So yeah, get amongst it. Well, like anyone who messages me in the future from now on, you may just hear my voice on the other end. (laughs) I think that's better. It's more personable as well. Anyway, Jack, what did you learn this past week? So those who have listened to a Stronger by Science episode, the most recent one might already know this, but basically they did some review of some research relating to muscle glycogen storage. And in the past, because of the way they've interpreted or analyzed muscle glycogen content, they used to basically take a biopsy, so actually take a little bit of the muscle, blend it up, and then basically analyze how much muscle glycogen was left in there. But that doesn't actually determine like what fiber type it might be or the compartmentalization within the muscle. So we know that muscle glycogen has different levels depending on where it's stored. So like, for example, there's type one and type two muscle fibers. And then you can even get deeper than that in terms of what individual muscle fibers, etc., cetera, the mm-hmm. layers, whatever it may be. But basically what this study revealed was that it's not uniform. So just because you're depleted by 40% doesn't mean it's going to be 40% everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's going to be dependent on the muscle, uh, muscle type. So we know that resistance training is probably slightly more biased towards type two muscle fibers, which are more anaerobic. We know that uh, basically what the study revealed was that the muscle two fibers were more depleted than type one. Yeah. And gosh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I think it was called like the intramuscular sacroplasmic reticulum compartment somewhere around there, somewhere around the sacroplasmic reticulum. That's the main compartment where you actually will have the majority of your muscle glycogen that you'll actually use first off during exercise, right? And like these previous studies have shown, right? Oh, from a resistance training bout, you can only deplete muscle glycogen by a maximum of 40%. Yeah, maybe across the entire muscle, right? But in the compartments that really contribute to your performance, hell, you might deplete that by 90%, right? And that is significant, right? And that is a reason why you should be paying close attention to your sports nutrition and eating enough carbohydrates so that Mm. you can refuel and restore enough glycogen for your future training sessions. Yeah, I'm glad that this has highlighted the role of nutrition even more strongly for Mm -hmm. resistance training because... Previously, it hasn't been as deemed as important compared to something like endurance sports. But like if you're doing a session in the morning and then expecting to then play like team sports in the afternoon, it's going to be really tough from a muscle glycogen standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so get that glucose into you. And this is the coolest thing as well, because we didn't learn this in uni, right? And we only graduated a year and a half ago, right? And we did four and a half years of tertiary level studies studying sports nutrition, but these things keep coming out. So it just reinforces why you have to stay on top of this stuff so you can keep learning, right? Mm, Undoubtedly, yeah. Cool. All right, well, there's some fun facts for you guys. But thank you so much for tuning in for our 101th episode. Is that, I always get that mixed up, 101th? 101st. 101st, 101, 101. I think that's what you said at the very start. I did. Yeah. Thank you very much for tuning in, guys. If you did enjoy it, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag the Bodybuilding Dietitians, and we will catch you next week. See you guys.